Amen. Let's go to the Lord and pray together this morning. Lord God Almighty, Lord of heaven and earth, we glory in your name this morning. We glory in you, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We glory in you, O God, and we glory in your Son, Jesus Christ, the Lamb who is slain for us, the one who is worthy, and the one that we come this morning to worship And we glory in him who has died for us, the one who came for us, the one who was slain for us. And we know that that is not just some distant truth. This is true and it is still true. And so we come and we praise you, Lord, that for us who are your children, we are yours. And no one will snatch us out of your hand. We praise you. We worship you, Lord. And we pray in light of the truth as well that you are still saving sinners. You are still worthy. You are still God. Regardless of how many may rise up and say otherwise, you are God. And so help us, Lord, to come humbling ourselves this morning, to come recognizing you are worthy and we do adore you and may we continue to adore you as we go to your word. May you give us grace this morning to glory in these things, to hear your word, to receive it. And as we have sung, we aren't just singing these things and they aren't not true in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives, but that we would then go and live out all that your word says because these things are real and they're not false or false in us. So we pray for your hand and your blessing now as we turn to your word. May your name be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning... We are continuing in the Gospel of John, and we're pressing onward into John chapter 6. So it lies ahead here in this chapter has much to do with food. Now that may sound strange, but really the overarching theme here is food. And not merely food in and of itself, but Bread specifically, and even more specifically, it's Jesus. So we know that there's much to be seen here for us to see how in the world, or why, or what is this talk about food and all these things. Well, we will find that out as we continue in this chapter. But as we do, I want to set something before you that's interesting to see connection-wise and interesting to think about. So not too long ago in this gospel, we heard these words from Jesus in John 
chapter 4, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And now, a few chapters later, and soon we will be getting to it ourselves, not today specifically, but soon in this chapter we will hear these words. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So I won't go into those verses now. That's not our verses this morning. But let us just, just see this connection. Even now, as we will see it more in the weeks to come, but especially as well as we turn this morning to the opening verses of John chapter 6, where we find Jesus feeding the 5,000 with what else but food, bread, which will become the topic of much we will see ahead. So let's read our verses then this morning, beginning with verse 1, John chapter 6, and I'll be reading until verse 15. So may God bless the reading of his inspired, God-breathed, Christ-centered word. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, to, Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. And so they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So with these verses, we see Jesus here. He returns to Galilee. And more than that, 
you know, really a good deal of time has passed here between chapter 5 and chapter 6. So in chapter 5, we read of a feast there in Jerusalem. We weren't told what feast it was. But now here we see a feast again. And not just any feast, but we see the Passover feast. And so this means that what we're reading here likely actually took place six months uh, to even a year later following the events of chapter 5. So what happened during this time? Well, all variety of things happened during this time. So more Sabbath quarrels arose and Jesus appointed the twelve and so on. And you see these things in the other Gospels as well. And so here, the narrative, it continues not in Jerusalem where we just were in chapter 5, but now we are in Galilee once again, specifically here in the city of Tiberias along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And all this takes place with the Passover at hand, where God, he powerfully redeemed Israel out of slavery through Moses, that they would be his people. And so Jesus' popularity here at this point, it has exploded. That now the crowds, they are flocking to Jesus in great, great numbers. So here he sits down with his disciples, uh, presumably as he does often, he sits to teach them. And as he does, the large crowd, they approach. And again, we see here the compassion of Christ. You know, he doesn't look up and he doesn't you know, say, oh, well, they don't have food. They should, they should have thought of that before they came here. You know, I, if it was me, I would have packed a lunch. They can go do their own thing and figure this out on their own. He doesn't do any of that. But Jesus, he, he has compassion on them. He would not only meet their need, he would point them to the greater need as he does with every single miracle and every single sign that he does. He's always trying to show you, show everyone their greater need than just water, than just bread and just fish. They need Jesus. They need Him. So He's always seeking to show them this. And so Jesus, He turns to His disciples and He would use this then as an opportunity to teach or to disciple them as well. And so Jesus then is directing his disciples here to a greater faith. He's directing his disciples to a greater faith. And so Jesus, he asks Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? So Jesus did not ask this because he did not know what he was going to do. He knew what he was going to do. What Jesus was doing is he was testing them. And again and again, you know, as you read Scripture, you see God, He does that. He tests people. He tests His children. So let me give you a few examples of this from Scripture. Just a few. Deuteronomy 8, 2. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that He might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, 
whether you would keep his commandments or not. Another, Psalm 11, verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. And we could go on. There are hundreds of these throughout Scripture. But one particular passage I want to kind of bring us to here is Exodus 16. So what happens in Exodus 16? Well, God, He sends what from heaven? He sends bread down from heaven. He sends this manna down from heaven to provide for the Israelites. And He says there in Exodus 16, 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. So hopefully that sounds very familiar to you as we just read John chapter 6. And let me just say, There are so many things that are going on here in this chapter. We will not be able to look at all of them this morning. But God is sovereignly orchestrating all these things to show people something very important. Now, here is him who is greater than Moses. Him who is the one providing the bread. And him who is himself doing the testing. What would that tell you? That would tell you that this, as God brought the bread and God did the testing in Exodus 16, now we have God bringing the bread and God doing the testing as well. Jesus. And for those of us who are His, realize that His testing is good. His testing is good. It is not always easy But it is always good. He tests us for our sanctification. He tests us for our godliness. He tests us for our spiritual maturity. And that's good. James, chapter 1. So James, he says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And as an aside, you could turn to 1 Peter. I'm not going to read that one here this morning. 1 Peter 1, 6-9 also. Jesus is teaching his disciples to trust him now for what they will be called to do later. He's calling them to lean into him now, to learn to trust in him now and follow him now, even when what seems before them, I mean, feeding all of these people, what it, what it seems impossible to them is certainly possible because of Jesus They need to learn this lesson now. 
because of what lies ahead. And so do we. And so this is a moment to test them, to disciple them, to teach them that they may be men built upon the solid rock of Christ. As things come, persecution comes, as people threaten their lives, as people uh, you know, oppose the message and all these other things, they will see that what was impossible to them is not possible or is possible with Jesus. They're being taught important lessons here. And I look back, you know, on multiple, especially trying and challenging times in my own life. I'm sure you could as well. You know, and as I look back, you know, whether losing our two children or the many health issues, the, uh, the challenges we've had, and, and even just because we're living out our faith, because we're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, to look back, I see God's hand there. I see my Savior's hand at work in me, chiseling and molding and disciplining me in ways that prepared me for trials that I had no idea were coming around the corner, even sometimes just around the corner, teaching me to cling to the rock when all about me seemed rocky. You know, I think of others as well that God tested also. So certainly, you know, like biblical figures in the Bible, we know of them, like Abraham, the big one, I'm sure comes to your mind immediately, is Job and others. But one I think of, that non-biblical example, is Adoniram Judson. So Adoniram, we named... Our first son, our firstborn child, um, Isaiah Adoniram Judson. Because this, this was a man who encountered a lot, yet persisted in proclaiming Jesus Christ. My, oh my, he was tested. He was a missionary to Burma, now known as Myanmar. And God, he greatly used Adoniram, but he would... He would endure a great weight of trial after trial and suffering after suffering. And so much here that he endured. It's hard to fathom some things of how one person can handle so much. But then we think what, was in, what is impossible with us is possible with God. Well, Adoniram and his wife... And they went boldly out with a heart for Christ to share Christ with the lost. And yet, as they did, they would encounter sickness. They would encounter prison. They would encounter six years of no one coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And then they would encounter the loss of three children. And before their third child died, Anne would die as well. One thing after another. And then Adoniram, he remarried Sarah Boardman, and they would have eight children, and only five of those children would survive. And then when he was selling back to America, so him and Sarah, 
because she was not doing well, her health was very poor, she would also die at sea. And he'd have to go and bury her on an island that they stopped at that he would never return to again. So don't hear me wrong. Adoniram suffered deeply and greatly as the years progressed, yet through much pain, through much wrestling, through much hard wrought fighting the good fight of the faith in him was being formed and was formed a rock solid kind of faith that bore much eternal fruit even echoing in to today. And so 7,000 baptized believers came from his ministry in his day. 63 churches planted, 163 missionaries, even now a Bible translation that they are still using because of him is being used for the sake of the gospel. And God tested him, grew him, was teaching him, was solidifying in him a faith that was built on the rock of Christ. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So friends, may we learn not to buck against the good shepherd, but to learn from him. To learn from your Savior. Jesus intentionally is testing his disciples for all that lies ahead of them. They don't know what's ahead, but he does. And so also God is at work in us even now that the light of Christ may be seen in us and through us. And so humbly let us, believers, all of us, we don't know what's ahead. It may be immensely difficult, but let us bow our knees before Christ and learn from him because he is not a rock that is untrustworthy or shakable. One of my favorite preachers, which you've heard of him before, and you'll hear of him again and again, I'm sure, over the years to come, but Charles Spurgeon, he gives this counsel. He says, My dear friends, if your faith is only a sunshiny faith, get rid of it. For you may not have many bright days between this and heaven. If your godliness can only walk with Christ when he wears silver slippers, you had better give it up. For Christ very often walks barefoot. It is a poor foot, poor faith which can only trust God when friends are true, the body full of health and the business profitable. But that is true faith which holds by the Lord's faithfulness when friends are gone, when the body is sick, when our spirits are depressed, when we are driven from the enjoyment of assurances into the desert land and cannot see the light of our Father's countenance, a faith that can say in the midst of the direst trouble, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. This is heaven-born faith indeed. So as God tests us. It's what he does with his children. 
don't lean away from the testing, but lean into your Savior. That's exactly what you're intended to do with your testing. What's impossible with you is possible with Him. And so Jesus asks Philip then, where are we to buy bread so that they or the people may eat? And so Philip and Andrew, they both kind of answer Jesus, you know, rather pragmatically. Uh, You know, we've seen this already, right, with Nicodemus and not quite understanding the question or understanding what they're saying with the Samaritan woman, with the official and disciples. And then here again, we see it also. So Philip, he sees no path forward for this. (laughs) You know, 200 denarii worth of bread will not allow this many people to really even have a small bite of, of food. And so just to put this in perspective, so 200 denarii would have been worth nearly a year's worth of wages. And even then, that would not have been enough. I mean, let alone the fact you would have to find some town or someone that has made that much bread for all of these people. So it's an, it's an impossible task for another reason that really no one's going to have that much bread just made lying around and ready to be bought. So Andrew also sees no path forward. He answers a little bit better, but you almost think he's going to trust in the Lord, but then he kind of turns and doesn't see any path forward as well. But he finds this boy who has five loaves and two fish, but that's not even close to enough for all of these people. And we are told here that there are, what, 5,000 men with nothing being said of women and children. And so all in all, taken into account, we're looking at very likely 20,000 people or more here. Very great crowd. And so this magnifies just how insignificant five measly barley loaves is and how measly two fish are or would have been. I mean, that's, that's nothing. It would have been like saying, we have enough to give each person half of a half of a crumb or you know, even less than that, like half a half a half a half of a crumb. And so all this adds up to make this miracle incredible. And significant that it is in every single one of the Gospels as well. So imagine the scene here. Perhaps the crowds are all looking in Jesus' direction, seeing what he was doing, and they happen to see the, the limited amount of bread that they have and the fish and they say among themselves, so why, uh, what is he, you know, why, why does he, what is he doing there? What, what, is, what is he going to do with that? I mean, that's not enough food for us. Maybe he'll just feed those around him. I mean, uh, you know, maybe that's what he's going to do. Just, just those near him, perhaps, those who are close, he'll be able to feed them. But we're just going to have to figure out what to do. So that's perhaps one thing they're thinking about. Another person may reply, well, we, you know, as we even see in the other Gospels that they broke them into groups here, then why are they dividing us into these groups if he's not planning on, you know, feeding us or something? But as they look on, Jesus begins handing out 
this bread and this, these fishes in abundance. Essentially creating out of nothing bread and fish to feed people. As one commentator said, he was essentially making fish that had never been seen before, that had never uh, lived before in this world, and people were eating fish that was created directly from the hand of God at that very moment in bread. And so they see all this, and they say, What is this? How can this be? How is he doing this? And in wonder upon wonder, they declare, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. And how would you have reacted if you are among the crowds seeing such wonders? We can take it for granted because we've heard this story again and again, we've read it again and again, but if you are sitting among those people and you see these things, I mean, what are you going to think about this man? This doesn't happen. No one's ever done this before. Except in Exodus 16. And this leads us to see and to say, if Jesus can do this, What else can he do? Let this bolster your faith. Let it spur on rocky faith. Let it cause your faith. Perhaps you have a faith that is weak or even dead and you need to be made alive. Let your faith awaken. In our day as COVID cases increase as unrest abounds, as the political climate is tense. If Jesus can do this, what else can he do today? What else can he do in and through you? He's calling us to trust him this morning. He's calling you to trust him this morning. The righteous shall look at all these things and the righteous shall live by faith. Let us trust him to do great things. And what else can he do in and through his church? His church is, contrary to popular belief perhaps, is not dead. Its heart is still beating and it will beat ever still. The gates of hell shall not prevail over Christ's church. So we need not tremble at what lies ahead. We have a sure gospel, a sure Christ, and a sure kingdom that can never and will never be moved. And what else can he do in his world? And here we need to see our vision is not too big, it's too small. Our vision is not too big, it's too small. So the father of modern missions, William Carey, he exhorted us many years ago and he exhorts us still, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. 
So let us. Let's put our hand to the plow. Let's take up our faith. Let's take up our Bibles. Let's bend our knees. Let's humble ourselves. Let's repent. Let's disciple. Let's preach. Let's teach. Let's love. Let's plan. Let's work. Let's go. And let us do all we can with all we are to the glory of our great God. So if Jesus can do this, what else can He do in us, in His church, and in His world. These final verses here, verses 14 and 15, again show just how deeply the crowd, they both understood Jesus, kind of, but they misunderstood Jesus as well. They are right He is indeed the prophet of Deuteronomy 18. He is the new and greater Moses. Yet, he is more than a miracle worker. He's just not doing these cheap tricks for fun. You know, this chapter, it opened with John telling us there in verse 2 how the large crowd you know, follow Jesus as we've already seen because of what? They saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And the signs were meant to point to Jesus. And they they want to see more tricks. They want to see more miracles. (laughs) Show us something neat. And so they were not trusting in Jesus. And so Jesus is more than a miracle worker, and he is more than a puppet king to be made king at the whims of men. He wasn't to be king or their king at their bidding. He was not coming. His mission at this point was not to be that he was going to set up his physical kingdom there and then he was coming to call sinners to align themselves, to align their hearts, to align people with this king and his cross. There's his mission. And no one is going to take me off of that path. He perceived what they were going to do. He knew. He said, that's not my mission. My mission is the cross of Christ, or the cross, my death, my burial, my resurrection, to save sinners, to save you and me. So instead of seeing a mere miracle worker or a puppet prophet king, they and we and you and all of us are meant to see if Jesus can do this, how much more can he save you as well? This king's first mission was not to reign, but to redeem. So hear his call to come to repent and believe the gospel. Turn to the one who is mighty to save and can who say who can save you this 
very day that all your sins, your separation from the Holy God may be bridged forever. And if you know Christ, He is yours forever. And He surely will accomplish what He said He will do. So if He can do this, how much more does his death, burial, and resurrection testify to how surely he saves and how surely he can save you? Let's pray together. Father, we pray. And I pray, Lord, as we see these kind of things, we see Jesus do these wondrous things before us. As we read of them and we consider them, Lord, perhaps we are believing in a Savior who can do much more than we ever thought or dreamed. Perhaps our vision is not big enough it needs to be bigger so help us Lord help us to take up all your good word help us Lord to see our calling and our mission and our savior and our call to live for him all of us individually all of us together All of us is Christ's church and all of us in his world, God's world, your world. And so help us, Father, give us a fire in our bones that we would not just simply say our mission is a small one, but that we would see the great calling we have and the great Savior we have, and we would go testing and all and proclaim him, live for him, disciple others, share the gospel, and pray for those around us, pray for our nation, pray that you would do a work in our day. We know if you can do these things, what else can you do? We pray, Father, that you would be with those who are hearing, who maybe do not know Christ this morning. May they look to you. May they see that This is not false. This is not some liar. This is not some huckster. This is the true one who has come to save sinners. And since he has done these things, he can surely save them as well. And so may you help them see that even now. See their need. See their sinfulness. See their lostness. See their desperate separation from you, God and their desperate need for one to come and bear their sin upon, upon himself for the, in their place. And so may you help them, Father, to believe this one true gospel, repent and trust in him. And so may you be with us as we respond this morning, as we sing this song of response. May you give us grace to respond as you lead us in Jesus' name. Amen.